Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, it's me, your barista. You know how you come in almost every day for our cold foam coffee? Well, now there's an easy way to foam at home with new International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. And it's foaming delicious. New International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. Now in stores. It's foaming delicious. Trigger warning for discussions of child abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, and just family trauma all around. So everybody out in your Louisiana families, that was not a good accent for Louisiana. Louisiana, Louisiana, you're close. I appreciate it. I appreciate your um, your gusto for the South. I mean, Louisiana does sound like just like like a like drunk crawfish. How would you say Louisiana? Louisiana. Okay, well. Is that how Louisianans say it? Yeah, I mean, there's different kind of folks in Louisiana. Yeah. You know, all different kind of people. Some people say Louisiana. You know, Lu- oh, so I wasn't that far off. You're not that far off at all. Hell yeah. You just gotta sound like you've been drinking whiskey all day. Uh, I wish that I had been. I will try that next time for sure. Okay. Just a just quick update here, just on Michael Long. There's all these cases we we touch on, and then. They kind of go away as we do the new thing, but then those cases keep going forward. So I figured it would be good to just do a little bit of a touch base again. And also, I want to hear what you guys think about towards the end of our first season, if we do just a full episode of updates on all the cases we've covered. Yeah, because a lot of these are still rolling and ongoing. And I want to know who's been found, who's been thrown away in prison with the key locked away. Yeah, got to get some of that justice porn got to and michael long like you mentioned so he's the guy with the bandana and the narcissism the cowboy yes who exploited his daughter yeah and now has taken her away uh well he has appeared actually in august of course he has he's too much of a narcissist he needs his like face shown if you disappear you have got to disappear yeah um also i think he's out of money (laughs) I think he's asking for money again. How much so. money did he get from all these GoFundMe? At least three, gr- three hundred grand. Do you at know least. what I could do with three hundred? I could buy an island for three hundred grand. Yeah, you but would never see me again. You wouldn't be Amber. You'd be Michael Long. If I you would be. I would you... buy an island and I'd have guns pointing out. <laughs> Anybody? I'd be like those like. Well, like cannons. Get some cool pirate cannons. Face yes. Out. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You can't get on my island. Yep. Yeah, and if he had that sort of you know logic and rational behavior, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are, no. I guess. I mean, he was, like, threatening people with magic. He was like, I know dark magic. Yeah. He's crazy. He's not doing... He's not great. 
Uh, I mean, dark magic exists, but I'm sure Michael Long doesn't know how to use it. Y- yeah. If anything, he is the dark magic because he has manifested this all into existence. Yeah. But uh, he, so he basically, the Daily Mail got a an interview with him. They didn't reveal where he was, but they did take a photo of the two of them and they confirmed that they in fact had spoken to Sophie personally. Um, and this, sorry, and so to recap, this is the daughter that he took away from the family. Yeah. Because the court said, you can't be around these kids. Yeah. He has a warrant out in Texas for his arrest. Yes. And he has a, um, one of his sons. He can't even go around his kid because he was like hitting the kid. I mean, he doesn't want to see any of his sons, it seems it's like. Just the own, he, it's the it's girl. It's just the girl, which is alarming. But um, yeah, so... I get. I don't know why they didn't report where he was, but I think it has something to do with the fact that Daily Mail comes from England, so they're not beholden to anything, and they they can in the states and they can just yeah. do this without having to report where are, they are. Aren't they a little more of a conservative publication? They're a little bit of a gossipy rag. Okay, okay. But they did. Sh- they they put a photo up of them more recently. It's a really weird photo, and I'm probably I'll probably put it up on the TikTok. Is she um, like sitting on his lap? No, but it's like very weirdly staged and he's holding her hand even though she's like, I don't know, she's getting older. It's, I don't, I don't, I didn't like it. It made me feel weird, but at least we know she is with us and she seems relatively safe. She doesn't look like she's like starving or anything. Hopefully, uh, you know, he'll keep this kind of behavior up enough to the point where he accidentally gives away his location because he also was streaming, I should say. He was on one of the one of the YouTubers who gave him a platform in the first place. He did an interview with him about two weeks ago. What? Asking for cash. And uh, that guy also didn't tell anybody where he is. Oh, my God. So, Can someone go shake down the Daily Mail and be like, where is he? And be like, I don't know. I eat beans for breakfast. I don't know where Michael Long is. Like, where is he? We are killing it on the accents today. <laughs> uh, um, I wish. And by the way, like all uh, a lot of his old YouTube fans turned against him because he was um, turning against them and he was acting shady as fuck. Yeah. So even if his fans have turned against him. He still has that contingent of the ones who will just not, once they make that decision, they will never turn back from it. Yeah, because so, you can't admit I was wrong. And yeah. also to admit I was wrong and I gave him money, that's right. bad. Right, right. So they'll probably continue to give him money. Cool. As somebody who's never been wrong before, that's got to be really hard to be wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you are an Aries, so I get it. <laughs> um, then also on the Josh Duggar front. And Josh Duggar is the man with unspeakable violence on his computer who looks like a thumb. Yes. There are a lot of the guys we cover look like thumbs, weirdly enough. Uh, but yes, he's the one we covered recently. He's in the IBLPs on the Doug, from the Duggars reality show. He is awaiting trial currently. Um, Josh and his dad, Jim Bob, and their team have basically been trying everything they could think of to, they've been just throwing spaghetti at a wall trying to get something to get these charges dismissed. And they're kind of taking it to any level, like even past the point of, I have low standards for them, but then they just keep getting lower, getting lower into the ground. I mean, earth is pretty deep. Yeah. They're getting close to the earth's core at this point. So (laughs) they might just dig through and be virtuous people at the end. Oh, maybe that wouldn't that be a twist? (laughs) Uh, So they, yeah, they, 
they essentially they're they're going with these different methods trying to get this all erased. His court date is set for November. He's not going to be able to get another extension. But in the meantime, they're like looking at every aspect of his arrest and the stuff leading up to it and trying to find these little like nuances of, well, they didn't follow this protocol here. For example, whenever they had to take pictures of his hands, which is something that happens after something with crimes. I think it has something to do with the sex offense crime. They take, in case they can, they can find your hands and videos and stuff. Really? Yeah, just in case he was involved with anything. They're trying to do stuff like get that taken out, dismissed, and saying that they took pictures of his hands without the authority to do so. Like trying to find these weird little loopholes. It's not working. No, that's when you know someone is guilty. And granted, like everyone deserves a fair trial. Absolutely. But when you're pulling out these like little, they took pictures of his hands and it wasn't right. Come on. But the other thing that they've been trying to do when those methods don't work is then he's saying, well, maybe it was there, but it wasn't me, which we talked about before. But now he's saying like, I guess somebody might have done it there. I don't know. But here's a list of a short list of people who have access to that office. And he lists off a few of the employees, some of whom are his little brothers. He's just dragging everybody underground for this. So he is actively, he's such (laughs) a piece of shit. He's actively basically going, if I can throw one of my brothers under the bus, it'll keep me out of jail. So he put these people's names on a list for court being like, maybe it was one of them. I don't know. Wow. I'm surprised he put a brother on the list and not a sister because you know he could give two fucks about women. Yeah, the thing is that most of the women in their world don't work, so they're not in the office. It's like all dudes. Right. Uh, So that didn't work out for them very well in this case. But I mean, just the, can you imagine doing something that horrible and then trying to blame your little sibling? I'm flummoxed. <laughs> I know. I'm like so upset. My mouth is dropped. I can't imagine blaming. <laughs> Just take the L, dude. Serve your time. I don't think, I think he will die on the sill. We're going to do more revisits, like I said, with potentially, let me know what you guys think about doing. Uh, we have, we'll have a season. It's not ending yet. I'll, I'll let you know when we're getting close to it, but towards the end of season one, um, Maybe we'll do, you know, an update episode and just like touch base with everything. And we'll also, we're going to get our Twitch asses in gear and we'll be doing some Twitch streams coming up. Hopefully get some good interviews there and just have us doing some talks and everything. And uh, yeah, so that's about it. And then I just also wanted to touch, We this is a series that we're starting right now that we worked on earlier in this year. Way back, we were Babies. <laughs> oh. oh, like four months ago. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was about it was about six-ish months ago. Now we we started doing this series, and we didn't put it out yet. Um, and I I wanted to you know just mention that because this episode, the series that is is um, it's covered a lot more than a lot of the women we talk about. It was very heavily covered in the media and. I won't do that very often, but I think sometimes in these these very prolific cases, we can take away, we can basically learn from all of the things that either went wrong or, you know, the very few things that went right, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, they, I think this is sort of a way to to apply these to the, the less followed, less covered cases. So I hope you've 
you enjoy before we had grown so much now <laughs> we were so innocent back then in february um so yeah here we go it's hard to date in quarantine you were telling me and i was saying that this will cure you of ever wanting to date anyone ever again so I know. just me with a stick just be like back men get away get away from me you man i mean i don't want to be a shrewd i do love men i love <laughs> of course them. we do no 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 we do i like their butts and their calves sure i want crop tops to come back for men and short shorts i but, think yeah I, i'm all about it i want to see that sexy body boys yeah. show me i want to pinch yeah i like henry henry wears short shorts and i like it a lot it's Ooh. nice Welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. We are talking about the Susan Powell story uh, today. This was one that I had followed for a long time. It's more new, I think, to you, Amber. It's more new. Well, you said it was very prolific, but I'd never heard of it until you we you know we talked about it in the kitchen. Yeah, I think it's prolific in the true crime following world. I don't know if it would be really hitting registers and just normal news because it's it's just so brutal and so awful. Um, but you know, so people like masochists like myself um, just keep digging in. <laughs> That's like me every morning. This morning I went on Twitter to be like, I'm just going to relax and like scroll okay. through the feed. <laughs> I immediately saw somebody get like trampled by a horse. Yeah, like, yeah, Why yeah. am I doing this? I don't know. It's compulsive. I do it too where I'm just like, ah, good morning. Pull open my Twitter and you just go, ah, ah, oh, no. It's so horrifying. There's just so many things to be worried about every day, but. <laughs> um, this is why I think this kind of show helps at least me because then we can at least understand things a little bit deeper and it doesn't it's not just the glaring headline of like horror and just going like, well, that's terrible. I guess I'll go do yoga now. Yeah. Like, what am I... The feeling of, I don't know what to do about it. Like, what do you want me to do with this information? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if I have the answer to that, but... We're going to try to make some positive things come from this. So light. Yeah. So with this one, this, like I said, is very, very widely covered. In a lot of the episodes, I want to kind of focus on people who haven't been as covered. Uh, if anybody, by the way, I, I've said this several times, but if anyone has a missing case that you feel like is not getting the attention it deserves, please email us at someplace underneath a Gmail. Um, I'm always, lo I'd love to hear anybody's recommendations. But I think this story itself serves as almost a blueprint for things that can go wrong with bigger, there's larger issues around it that we're going to be talking about time and time again in these stories. You know, usually the violence against women uh, is from somebody they know. And even further than that, when we go into missing cases, they usually can stem from a series of internal, I, I don't want to call them failures, but the people around them, the closest there's usually warning signs and sometimes people don't know what to do with that. So this is one of those cases I think we can really look into from not only the home, but within the very insular culture she was in inside of and in the repercussions from being in this particular insulated community. Oh, I will say like warning signs are people that should be maybe monitored uh, if you kill an animal at a small age. Maybe monitor that person. <laughs> well, yeah. See what they're going to do. Guess what's in this story? I know. 
Um, <laughs> also, if you buy those like statues of little boy penises, like put them on a register or something. Who's buying that? Wait, like this, like little nude kids, you mean? Yeah, I've like I've gone to like many art museums. No big deal. I'm very cultured. But there's always some statue of like some like little sweaty boy. He's like, <laughs> look at my penis. Oh, I'm like, you know what? Whoever buys that, put them on a registry. You should at least look them up a little bit and maybe do a background check or something, yeah. you know? It's just a, I think it's a good idea. Um, the McDonald triad is what it's called. Uh, and that's related more to serial killers, but that's bedwetting, uh, hurting small animals, and, and being obsessed with fire. But there's some very, very, very obvious things that were happening. And again, I'm not going to be doing this to point fingers or blame anybody, but I think we need to like take a look at maybe where people could have stepped in or at least had a conversation about what was going on. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of times in these sort of communities, um, especially people that are a little more prevalent, if their kid does something messed up, like kill a dog, um, they're not really looked at because it's like, oh, well, uh, they're the son of somebody very powerful. It's okay. It's okay. And then they- My Huckabee's son. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And that is, so that is a part of this huger problem that I I, I want to keep, we will unfortunately keep returning to on these episodes. And it's absolutely rooted in patriarchal society, which affects negatively all genders. It yeah. affects everyone. And if your partner or your parent is your boogeyman or your boogeywoman, mm-hmm. what are you supposed to do? We have these tenets that we're supposed to follow. Honor thy mother and father. Do as you're told. Respect your elders. Divorce is the worst thing for you and your family. Loyalty is the most important. Protect the family at all costs. And these are issues that affect everyone. It, it hurts people um, to just blindly be told to obey whatever authorities above you is dangerous. You should oh, always, yeah. always question authority. Oh, yeah. Like think for yourself. Um, if anything happens and you feel like sometimes I'll just get a feeling and I'm like, this is wrong. Yeah. Just remove it. Remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. And and we're going to take a look at maybe some of the reasons Susan didn't feel like that early on. And if the people like your parent or your spouse are the ones who are supposed to love and protect you and they're not, where are you supposed to go? So I believe Susan Powell's case became so huge and so covered because of the sheer volume of horror in it and the absolute ghouls that surrounded her during all of it. Um, for real, like I feel like her husband's family is... They're like the Sawyers from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but they don't have any charisma, like the family of Sawyers. So again, on a lot of these episodes moving forward, I want to highlight women who have at least even the vaguest possibility of still being alive. Mm -hmm. Here, there's unfortunately next to no chance Susan is alive. And we'll go through why uh, on this episode and the next episode. But sometimes I'll want to discuss a case that you know, embodies all these things. So we can break down and see what went wrong and see how we can prevent it from happening in the future. Today, we're going to discuss Susan Powell. And if you've not heard of her plight, I'm going to give you the very abridged version and you can find many, many resources for the longer story. I will provide some of those during the episode, but this is going to be like a condensed version of it. So we're going to start with just a little about Susan, Susan Marie Powell, her maiden name is Cox. She went missing December 7th, 2009. Then over two years later, 
on February 5th, 2012, her husband, Josh Powell, barricaded himself inside of his home with their two sons, Charlie, aged seven, and Brayden, aged five, where he, it looks as though he assaulted them with an axe and then essentially he blew the house up, killing all three of them in a massive fire. It's absolutely, it's gutting on every level. Um, of course, the tragedy itself, but all the warning signs that were leading up to it, to the obvious abuse that had been going on in their marriage and in their family for many years. I mean, an axe? I can't imagine anything worse than that. It It's really why the understanding the background of these people, I think, is really important because to be able to mentally go to a place where you can attack these sweet these sweet little boys. Children. Uh, they're just the cutest little things, too. That we see them being interviewed by, you know, police and stuff in these videos. And they're just, it's heart-wrenching. And him to be able to do that. So as far as I know, Josh has never been formally charged with Susan's disappearance. This is largely likely due to the lack of a body. But as we'll reveal through this, there's almost an endless collection of evidence to suggest that he took her life on that night in 2009. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to that day just before the Christmas season started that year in 2009 when she goes missing. Her disappearance wasn't first announced by Josh, but by their children's daycare provider, Debbie Caldwell, when the two boys didn't show up at their scheduled time at her uh, facility, her daycare center. This daycare provider then contacts Josh's sister, whose name is Jennifer Graves, and Josh's mother, whose name is Terry Powell, and the two of those women go over to the Powell's house. That's when they realize the family, the entire family, is completely MIA. There's no notes. There's no messages. They are just not in the house. Aliens took them. Yeah, it's it, it kind of looked like that at the time. They, of course, they can't reach them. They're, they try calling them for hours. The family cannot get a hold of anyone. So then they decide they're, they're going to involve the police. The police arrive and they ask if they have permission to break into the house, which Josh's sister and mother sign off on. Because at this point, they're kind of thinking, they're, they're really afraid of like, they've become overcome with carbon monoxide or something. They think maybe, oh my God, what if they're just laying in their beds dying or dead? And so they're like, yes, please break into the house. Oh, this is, by the way, that sister, Jennifer Graves, um, she co-wrote a book detailing her experience with this event, as well as the years leading up to this tragedy. And that book is called A Light in Dark Places. Jennifer is the only, the one bright spot from Josh's entire family. And she's, I have a lot of respect for her. She's very brave and very courageous. And she really became an advocate for Susan um, going against her family completely. So she's like the black sheep, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's good to be the black sheep, you know? The rest of her family are, I can't, I cannot stress enough how abhorrent the people in Josh's family are. And they are very likely to have helped Josh with this murder and or participated in the subsequent cover-up. It's their baby boy. Their baby boy's so special. He can't do anything wrong. That's usually when like the biggest acts of violence happen. Like, I don't think that villains really think they're doing anything bad. They're just like, oh, I have to protect my family. I have to protect myself. What I'm doing is right. And then they'll yeah. kill their kid with an axe. Yeah. He, I, agree. I think you're right. I think Josh felt very sorry for himself all the time that he was the constant victim for everything. But before we get to Josh's monster family, uh, 
just quickly about Susan's upbringing. Susan Marie Cox, uh, the third of four girls, was born October 16th, 1981 to Chuck and Judy Cox in New Mexico, where Chuck served as, as a staff sergeant working in the air traffic control tower at Holloman Air Force Base. So Susan's dad was an, uh, a military guy. He spent six years in the Air Force and then moved the family around for a bit for other um, airplane jobs. I don't really know what to call that. Okay. Is it one where you have the, the cones and you wave them around? He did stuff like he had a really interesting job where he would go to flight like airplane crash sites and help deduce what happened. Oh. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So he was moving around for that stuff. For a while, the family lived in Alaska, and then they moved down to Washington State to a, def- a couple different towns before they finally settled into Puyallup, Washington. She had a relatively mundane childhood where the four sisters, though they each were different in their own ways, they got along for the most part. It was pretty. It was a pretty fine life, you know. Um, she had loving parents that cared about their kids. Um, as one of the middle children, Susan may have not been the most daring or outgoing, but she was a sweet, sunshiny, very pretty girl who she loved animals and she loved church. Um, I, this is just terrifying already. I know, right? It's just like sitting ducks. Just like the perfect model <laughs> girl, sweet. Yeah, just all these fucking predators just swimming around. Oh my God, that's why you got to be a bitch. Yeah, you got to be a bitch. At least a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, and, and I thought this was very cute, but um, when she was younger, her and her sister wanted to start a combination hair salon and dog grooming business and call it Beauty and Her Beast, Aww. which is so cute. Um so um, some of this information I'm getting, by the way, is from another book called If I Can't Have You by Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris. So while they never got to unfortunately open that salon, which I would have totally patronized, by the way, she did end up going to cosmetology school because it was a passion she had. She liked to make people feel good and, and make people pretty. Oh, that's such a small town sweet. Like she's going to cosmetology. She's going to make something of herself. Yeah. And she's really – she's a little, you know um, – She's a little sharp crack whip kind of girl. I like her, you know, when you, we have all these videos of her, she's really cute and she's, but she's not like, what? Oh, okay. Like she can hold her own, you know, uh-huh. she has her own dreams and everything. I think if she would were given the chance, she would have become a really assertive woman. So Susan and her family were a part of the LDS faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which by many forms of measurement that we have is a cult. I was looking into the LDS church and there's a lot of people who've left the church who yeah. are so like seething anger. Yeah. And it's the kind of anger where everything's calculated and they'll make 10 minute YouTube videos on yeah. this oh, yeah. just like bashing God. And I'm like, oh my, you know, it's not like a rage where you just like break bottles in the room. It's like a calculated, yeah. pointed, well-written, well-thought-out Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like there's a, f- a few YouTube channels who are specifically ex uh, Mormon people who they their entire channel is about following the things that were fucked up in their religion because it is I mean it is a cult in a lot of ways if you follow the bite model it, it checks off most of those boxes they say they're Christians but they also believe in lots and lots of gods yeah it's weird it's based around the idea of Christianity but it's it's definitely not exactly Christianity. It's no. very, it's a new religion. 
It's not much older than Scientology, actually. It's only about 70 years older than Scientology. If somebody doesn't tell you specifics about the religion, it's a cult, baby. Yeah, which which they definitely do in LDS. They have a lot of, you know, secret things that you have to, like, earn badges to get to, you know, little doorways you get to open up. Weird. I got to walk in day one. You tell me what's up. You tell me what this God is and what I got to do. Bang, bang, baby. And like, that's probably not a cult. But if you go and like, well, I can't really tell him this because, okay, so therefore, you know, it's insane. Yeah. And they have the thing where they have the like the reward systems where if you want to be married in the church as being like an anointed one, you have to go through all these steps, which you know, unsurprisingly involve like giving a bunch of your money to them and, you know, contributing so many hours of free work to the church and all that. And then, then you're, you're high enough that you can be married in their, their temple. You can't just like go have a temple wedding. You have to accomplish all these things. So. And then it's like kids, 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 got to have them kids. Yes, absolutely. They want it to start right away. The name itself also Latter-day Saints is referring to the end times. So. You may have heard of another famous, I don't know if you don't follow true crime as much as I do, but there's another very famous Mormon out right now named Lori Vallow who just killed her children. Whoa. Her and her uh, husband believed last July was going to be the end of the world. So it's an awful story, but there's no one missing in that case. It's um, just a bunch of shitheads. Uh, we know exactly where they are. They're in jail right now. Wow. Well, so, yeah, it's another case of like, oh, why you have to kill them because the world is ending. They think they're doing a good job. Well, yeah, but, you know, as it usually ends up showing, it was more about them just not really wanting to deal with kids anymore. But then they use the excuse of, well, like the church says we're going to be we're we're the chosen 144,000 and we're just helping them get there faster. Yeah. So anyway, that's Lori Vallow. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so, yes, it's a very insular, very high control and very always functioning with the belief that they are preparing for Armageddon. Extremely patriarchal, of course. Um, Always is, every time. Yeah. And this is not going to be an episode completely railing at the church. I don't think they're directly to blame for this in any way, but I want to look at how some of their practices and mindsets could have contributed to the acceleration of these events. Mm. Um, Susan, in fact, met Josh at an LDS gathering targeted at young singles. At the point of this fated event, he was 24 years old. She was 18. Wow, I can smell the horniness. Oh, my God, for sure. They're all just these horny kids, just like singles. That's kind of also why they end up getting married so young, because they're not allowed to, like, really consummate beforehand. So they're just like, I got to get it in. (laughs) So in general, Susan's life was very pleasant and healthy, and she was very well liked. She grew to be a beautiful young woman, and she just loved children and was so excited to have her own kids. Her big dreams were to have a family and own a hair salon. She deserves a loving, beautiful husband who will take care of her, and she takes care of him. Absolutely. You know, like a symbiotic, beautiful relationship, and like she teaches piano in the rose garden or something. Like she deserves that. Yeah, and I think that's what her dream was. I think that, and I think that's incredibly noble and good and I wish that she would have been able to have that. It's here that I want to talk about Josh's upbringing for a while because we need to know where he came from before we get into their marriage. (sighs) So here we go. (laughs) Yeah, it's a doozy. This is heavy. Uh, Okay, here we go. Joshua Powell was born January 20th, 1976 to Terika and Stephen Powell. Stephen Powell, I... I wish that we did not have to say another thing about Stephen Powell. 
Uh, but we cannot. We cannot avoid him because of all the things that he's done. So we must talk about him. Mm. Josh's father, Stephen Craig Powell, was born December 14th, 1949. He had, to some extent, a tumultuous upbringing. It was uh, whatever. I'm not even going to justify I'm not going to allow any sympathy to come in. It was he had parents who didn't like each other and whatever. I mean, a lot of that abuse, it's it's like a disease that just keeps going on the next generation. Yes, <laughs> very much. But I, I don't think that what he went through in any way equates to what he put people through later on in life. I think maybe I don't know. We'll see. But. He, you know, he, he grew up in extreme poverty and he became very active in the LDS church, which makes sense. They they provide a community. A lot of times they'll they'll provide their their little group with like people get food. And that's like the positive side of what you could say church life is, where people are supposed to be helping each other out. Yeah. It's unfortunate then when you have to trade that off with being like, you can't talk to anyone else now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he became active in LDS Church and he served his mission. A mission is a time, it's basically what young men do in the Mormon church in their late teens, early 20s, where they essentially leave their family and their home and they go study the doctrine for two years and they're completely removed from society. They can't call their homes. They can't watch TV. They have like an accountability buddy. So it's like two of the same sex. They can't. Do we can't be around the opposite sex because obviously only straight people exist in the LDS. Wink, wink. Uh-huh. I mean, um, you're still a kid at that time. I, I yeah. didn't at 18. I, no. Yeah. So the, I mean, it's it's indoctrination for sure. It's very hardcore indoctrination. Where at the age when your brain is still kind of growing, the church is pounding these things, and you're away from your family for two entire years. Oh my God, you know those boys are diddling each other. Of, saying it's I mean, okay. I'm sure plenty of them are. Yeah. And I'm I'm happy for them. I'm happy. You should be <laughs> able to diddle whoever you want. I want you to diddle whatever you want, whoever you want. Right? Yeah. As long as they're consenting. Go to town. Uh, so this training, all and this even leading up to the two years, the training is upwards of sixteen hours a day of they're just being memorizing brainwashing shit. Yeah. So Stephen did this, and like Josh, Stephen found his blushing bride through the church, and they were married in the temple, which again is only an honor bestowed upon the most worthy in the church. Stephen, at the time of the marriage, was twenty four. Terica was 18. That is pretty common because missionaries are mostly young men. Women are permitted to do modified missions, but the parameters are different and the vast majority of Mormon women don't do them. Yeah, I mean, 18, that's prime baby making time. They right. can't send them away for 16 hours a day. You got to have kids right now. Exactly. I mean, that's the, what the truth is. Like, yeah. They're like, they want to push. They really encourage the women more to just prepare for marriage, even though I think it became more of a like women. If you if you really have to go, we'll, we'll allow you to go study for a year before you get married. So most of them start, like the women start waiting in their late teens for the men to finish their missions and are, you know, encouraged to get married young. So a lot of the matches are women who just become of age with men who are older because they were out serving for the church or whatever. Mm. So just like Josh and Susan, his dad, Stephen, married a much younger, six years younger woman, quote unquote, and they want you to start 
popping those kids out. They just basically encourage you to just get as many out of your your hole before it starts to get too ripped up. Wow. You know, so you can't get them out anymore. Because I guess one, ideally one kid is going to be good. One will be bad. You and, know. you know, you don't want too many girls. Like, yeah. what if you have a bunch of daughters? That sucks. Oh, yeah. Um, Can't have those female hormones around the house. No, it's gross. Turning people into witches and whatnot. I know. It's their, they, are, they are the downfall of man. So <laughs> you, you got to just make sure you get enough guys in there. So the fate of Terry was to just, you know, she was raised into being a wife. And for what it's worth, she at the time seemed overjoyed that she had found this good, wholesome, upstanding, religious young man. And within a year, she had given birth to her first child, who is the aforementioned Jennifer Graves, the black sheep, good sheep one. I'm sure they didn't like the fact that a girl was the firstborn. Mm, probably not. No. Uh, in that was a 1973, I believe. Uh, Josh was born a, a year or so. Josh was born in 76, so I think she was born in 73, 74. Um, Josh was born a year later. And then after this, their brother John was born about a year after that. Mm. Their mother had health issues. So for several years, she had a succession of miscarriages, Aww. but which is very heartbreaking. Yeah. And I don't, I believe the LDS doesn't believe in birth control. I could be wrong on that, but I, for whatever, whether she, I don't know if she wanted to keep trying, but she did. She kept trying. And then after five years, the next brother, Michael, was born. Then in the mid-80s, their final sibling, a girl called Lena, was born. You'll maybe notice that I listed all of Josh's siblings and not Susan's. And that is unfortunately because Josh's parents and siblings must be accounted for because of their responsibility and everything that played out. They definitely had a hand in what was to come, both good and bad. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Stephen, the father, was a deeply disturbed man. I really, I find him more repulsive than just about anyone I've ever researched. It's pretty close. BTK really freaks me out, I think, again, because it's another dad. But yeah, Stephen, Stephen is really just a repulsive human being. Yeah, it seems like this sort of authoritarian, do as I say, not as I do kind of dude. That for sure. Um, Plus some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, Whether or not his personality came from childhood abuse or brain deficiency, he displays all the classic traits of an extreme narcissist. And that's coming from actual clinical health professionals, not just my decision. (laughs) I think it, so it's true. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that a lot, but... I know that I can't actually diagnose people and that's super obnoxious to do. No, but I don't stop me from trying. I might tr- I might pretend that nope. I know what I'm talking about. Especially if I'm at a bar and this guy's being a piece of shit. I'm like, <laughs> you're a narcissist. Exactly. <laughs> you're clearly a borderline personality um, <laughs> just because he's just like being loud and you're like, you need to go to a mental institution. <laughs> um, no, but he actually probably should have gone to a mental institution. Um so we don't really know like exactly what created the cocktail that made Steven, but 
We can say with fair clarity that Stephen Powell was physically, emotionally, and sexually abusive to all of his children to varying degrees. An entire novel's worth of stories about the things he's done is available, but I'm going to try to keep this brief. You again can find longer versions of things. According to Jennifer, he wasn't around a lot when she was young, which was probably to her benefit. Uh, He apparently was working on a business of some sort that kept him away from home. He, along with Josh, uh, both did the thing where they started like 16 different projects and then blamed people for why it failed and then quit it and then started another thing. So Stephen wasn't around and he was doing something along those lines. From the start, though, he was openly assertive over Terry, stating that the household duties were her problem and instructing her every move. At the same time, Terry, which again, Stephen's wife and, and the mother of, of Josh, Terry found out pretty early on that Stephen was in, quote unquote, involved with pornography. Mm. Um, that's how it's stated in Jennifer's book. I don't think she means he was physically involved in pornography, but maybe that she found he had tapes or magazines or something. It? Which is like a no-no in that church. Right. It's very against church doctrine. In, in my opinion, more importantly, he was betraying his wife who knew because he, he knew she didn't approve of that before they got married. Yeah. You know, it's like if you are in a relationship and your partner's cool with porn, like it's not like he committed a crime by doing that. But no, yeah, just like, yeah, tell each other what's up before you get into it. Right. He knew he knew how much that would hurt her. And the only response that she got from him when she questioned was his explosive anger um, for daring to challenge him. Because he knew what he was doing was wrong. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. That's what happened. When people get, when you like question somebody and they get angry, they know what they're doing was wrong. Totally. And they they were a part of a community that did not believe in that stuff. So if he was going to do it, he should have hit it better, I guess. <laughs> you know, there wasn't any record of him beating her physically, but he belittled her to a point that he'd actually started encouraging his sons to mock her as well. Tell them to refuse to help her when she asked for help, like cleaning the dishes, to curse and defy her and laugh at her when she was upset. And Stephen found this very amusing. What a psychopath. Yeah. What a psychopath. Just like, and the kids just belittling their mother, the sons. I mean, yeah. if they were to grow older, how would they treat their wives? The same. Turns out, not good, Amber. <laughs> um, <laughs> In this kind of environment don't shouldn't a husband honor his wife and not belittle her like this if you want to like go with church preachings well we'll find out his mindset changed on that during the marriage very quickly i'm just going to give a couple examples that jennifer talked about in her book i'm not even pulling the worst ones out because there's just so many really really terrible things that happen in this family but i just wanted to explain like what Stephen's mindset was like and what Josh was experiencing as a kid. Also, verbal abuse can be just as bad, if not worse, even than physical abuse, because you can see a black eye coming, but you can't really see like someone emotionally damaged. Yeah, the scars of those, yeah, they're hidden. Yeah, And if you know somebody or if you are feeling um, abused like that, reach out. And that is abuse. It's as much as getting smacked for absolutely certain. Um, So with Jennifer, here's a couple of the things she regaled us from uh, her childhood. The three of us oldest children all had troubles with wetting the bed. 
Dad decided he was going to cure us of our problems. He would come into my room every morning early while I was still sleeping to check my bed. If it was wet, I would be awakened by my dad picking me up to carry me to the bathroom or he would fill the tub with icy cold water. I remember cowering on the floor while the tub filled, the linoleum cold against my legs. I pulled my damp nightgown down over my legs, trying to stay warm. I'm sorry, Daddy. I won't do it again, I whimpered. He ignored me, bending down to shut off the water. I clutched the nightgown more closely as he turned back to face me. Please. Then my words were gone, and I cried out as he pulled my nightgown over my head. He tossed it aside, then scooped me up in his arms. The water took my breath away, and I fought him. But no matter how much I would cry and beg and fight, he wouldn't relent until I had lain down and let, let the frigid water cover me up to my neck. Only then could I get out. It was horrid and completely ineffective as a cure for bedwetting. I know he did the same thing to my brothers. Later, I overheard mom arguing with him. It's not working, and it's so harsh, she said, but he didn't care what she thought. The torment went on for months. What? So it's like, that's not, I don't. That's abuse. And yeah. also, like, her family, did her family step in? It seems like they were nice. They're just sort of like, you're married off, deal with it. No, her family's not nice. This, so this is Jennifer, which is Josh's sister. This is not Susan's family. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's very, that's why I repeat it a lot because for me, it's really hard to keep up with the names and mm -hmm. place them in the right place. So I will keep repeating them throughout the episode. And I'm sorry to anyone if they think that's annoying. But um, so this is a story that Jennifer, who wrote a book, she's the black sheep. Yes. So this is her story. Okay. And this one is, uh, there's one more. This one is really, uh, it's awful, but it's not as bad as you think it's going to get. So, yay. Um, <laughs> this is a little story she told about she got to go on a road trip with her dad while he was doing business. And it was a big deal to her because she wanted to spend time. She never got to spend time with her dad. So they were in a hotel and they had settled in to watch TV in the hotel room. But halfway into the show, he changed the channel a pornographic movie came onto the screen, and I was stunned. I looked over at my dad. Didn't he remember that I was right there? He glanced at me but didn't say anything, just turned his attention back to the screen. I buried it down under the covers and covered my head with the pillow. I was sickened at what I had seen in those brief seconds, and the pillow over my head couldn't keep the sounds that warmed into my ears. Even then, I knew that a father was supposed to protect his daughter. I felt exposed and betrayed. Was that appropriate behavior? especially for a married man. So she was really little when this happened. I don't sick fuck. Yeah, I don't really know that it matters if he was married or not, but that was her mind process that she went through as a little kid. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. So that even though she didn't say that anything worse happened that night, that is that's a form of grooming for sure. Yeah. Um he wanted to see what her reaction would be when he did it. And then slowly get her more and more used to mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So not only was he vicious and cruel, he was a physical threat to his kids. Yeah. And he just beat down Terry mentally until she was a shell of a person, the mother. So remember, their mother was a teenager when she married this man. For eternity, according to the church doctrine, you are bound, even if the one of your spouses, one of the spouses dies, if the woman, well, if the husband dies, that woman, even no matter what happens, she will have to spend eternity with him and vice yeah. versa. If the husband dies and the woman remarries, like she will spend eternity with the husband from the first marriage. Like you are, you are stuck with this person for the eternity in the eyes of the church and in their heads. So she's already committed to this man. 
and she was 18 when she married him. Yeah, and you're a kid. You don't know other people at 18. I mean, so no. many, like, just hidden, crazy personalities out there. Yeah. So because of the how young she was, she was never able to form her own sense of right or wrong, her own judgment system. So when this was all happening, she mostly remained quiet and tried to ignore all the abuse in the house to both herself and her children. She's probably afraid. Yes, for sure. Sometime when Jennifer and Josh, the kids, were still pretty young, Stephen began to turn on the church. He had a hard time following any sort of rules. In many ways, he was like a child, but like a child who should have been getting treatment in like a mental facility. But more than anything... So he was like, he was just, he, the, the idea of him having to listen to all these authorities in church, he was most likely a narcissist, extreme yeah. narcissist. So the idea of all these people telling him what he could and couldn't do, he didn't care for that. He liked finding the sort of subservient young girl from the church. But I think after that, he was like, eh, I, don't, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I do what I want. Religion does um, bring on the narcissists. Mm -hmm. They love it. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially saying I'm closer to God than you, so yeah. I'm better than you. There's a hierarchy and you're at the mm -hmm. top. Wow. Crazy how that worked out. Uh, yeah, isn't it crazy? Isn't it weird? It's so weird. But more than anything, uh, Stephen hated giving tithings to the church. Each member of the LDS church is who has a job is supposed to give a full 10% of their income to the church. Yeah, so they can go feed people that are hungry. They and don't, clothe children. Oh, they don't? They just take the money? A lot of it just goes right back into like... Preacher's got the nice shoes. They're not, they don't have to hold any account. They they can show that they've done a little bit of work, but because of their status, they're able to just sort of hide money. Hide it. I've seen um, so many preachers roll up to church in like a Cadillac. Yeah. No, LDS church is very rich. They have like a, you know, nine figures. I don't know how much money they have exactly, but isn't it nice? Um, so he hated giving the tithings, which I don't personally blame him for, but I, I think giving the 10% of your income to a church is bullshit, but he entered into this union knowing that this was meant to be a devout LDS family. And he's entitled to change his mind, but instead of sitting his wife down and having a measured conversation about it, he simply began mocking the church to her, which the church to her was still very, very important. And he loves the church. Yeah. And he just started refusing to attend services, started to like laugh at you know, make fun of the kids if they wanted to go. So they didn't want to go to embarrass because they didn't want to be embarrassed by their dad. And he refused to give a share of the tithing. So Terry started collecting cans and doing like odd jobs and having garage sales to, so she could collect money just to give money to the church. God. There's so much to unpack in that oh statement. But she loves the church so much. She like does. In her mind, she, she wants to go to heaven. Right. She's like, I, I do this now. I go to heaven. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that that comes from a very pure place in her heart. You know, yeah. Terry also discovered another one of Stephen's little nasty habits that would come back later in this horrible story. He is a or he was a voyeur who would become sexually obsessed with women who he had no real connection to and then convince himself that they were also in love with him. Even, Psycho. Yeah, yeah. Even though he denounced the religion, he was he had become sexually obsessed with a woman who went to their church and would write these huge long journals about her. And then he even got to the point where he was telling Terry that he was going to take this woman on for a second wife and that Terry would just have to deal with it. 
Even though this woman did not know Stephen, he had already convinced himself that she would react to him in a positive way. She's mine because he's a narcissist. Yeah. Like, of course, any woman I want, she wants me because they all want me. Yeah. And, and then when Terry found these journals and stuff, he was just like, yeah, she's probably going to be my second wife. So you better deal with it. Oh, my God. So many people live through hell for the chance to get to heaven. I know. It's really true. And at this point, too, beyond anything else, she has no resources outside of this little community. And she was so young when they got married. I don't think she had any idea what she would do if she left him, even if she felt like mentally she could detach from the church and be okay. I don't think she had the resources mentally to know what to do. What's life even outside of the church? Because I'm sure it's like in your head since child, like if you're not in this church, you're an evil person, you're going to hell. That's what they said in all those YouTube videos is that they thought everybody else who wasn't a part of the church, they felt bad for them. You're going to hell. Absolutely. Yeah, Uh, definitely. And yeah, so Terry had a big problem she was dealing with, even though I, I feel, and I feel for her in that way, it's harder to to have sympathy for her when you realize how much she abandoned her children in all of this. But I also, I do feel for her because of how young she was when she walked into this life. Stephen's disturbing behavior affected the kids in different ways. He had taken to the boys in the family. He had decided that he really liked exerting control over the boys side of the kids. Um, And he really began to put his horrible thoughts onto the kids really young. So they were warped by him from like, you know, five. Um, Josh and his, the older, other older brother, who's John, they were actually found later to have tried to molest not only their baby sister, but also a random five-year-old girl that they had cornered at a public pool one day that Jennifer witnessed. So those are the only two that were documented, but there could have been way more. Oh, yeah. So especially in these like hidden private communities, it, it's like an, a roach. You see one, there's a million cases. Yeah. So these boys probably, you know, they probably did this to other little kids. And we don't have proof, but it's also very likely that Stephen was at the very least exposed exposing them to porn. Yeah. I mean, yeah, their daughter was. The daughter was, right? So it could have even been worse than that. But they they, um, displayed that sort of hypersexuality at such a young age. It only really comes from sexual abuse. There's not like, if you like go through like medical texts and stuff, it's usually not common for a child that young to be doing things like this unless they're repeating behavior. So whatever the case was, the two older boys, Josh and John, became unbearable to handle for Terry was Steven just like applauding it the whole time, enjoying it. The results were not only that Josh acted out in sexual ways, but he was also prone to violent outbursts. Terrifying. Like a kid with a violent outburst. Yeah. Cause the kids are strong. Yeah. For real. They got a little kid power. <laughs> um, and uh, this, according to Jennifer's aunt in Jennifer's book, her aunt observed She says in Jennifer's book, a couple of years ago, sometime in 1990, so this is when the kids are all kind of growing up in adolescence, when I was staying there, Alina, which is the baby of the family, came up to me. She was about four at the time and was telling me that there was red on her hand and she didn't like it and was going on and on about it. I finally understood that she was saying Joshua had killed one or more of their gerbils and was making her hold the gerbil and touch the blood. I was appalled. 
Johnny had told me that Josh had killed baby gerbils by throwing them against the side of their cage. Mom was horrified about his behavior and talked to my dad about it, but he brushed it off and told her she didn't understand the sense of humor of a teenage boy. What? He probably loved it. He, the father probably loved it. Yeah. His son's killing. He's, he's asserting power. And also tormenting. He Stephen had a deep hatred of women yeah. and girls. Stephen resented women on every level. It's shown time and time again through proof in, in these stories. And so, so he probably thought it was funny that Josh was terrorizing this little girl. Why do so many people have such, even other women have deep hatred of women? Why? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this came from what something that happened in his childhood or if his brain was just broken and nobody knew how to fix it. I mean, sometimes a woman will be like, I hate men on Twitter. And they'll be like, oh, wow, the misogynist or the, the women are out with misandry or whatever, which is it's bad. But like women, I rarely see them hate men as much as men hate women. Well, like the old adage, what is it? Like men's worst fear is a woman laughing at him. A woman's greatest fear is a man murdering her. <laughs> And this is like, again, guys, this is not, this is a very extreme uh, Case, example of this. this. Not in a, any stretch so of the imagination. Kind. My father was very kind. For sure. My brothers are very kind. It's it's really, I, I can't stress enough during this show, This these examples that we're giving, they're more about the patriarchal society that has been pushed upon everyone, especially from like the mid-1950s on. And it hurts everyone. It's not just... Yeah, you can't have women. little boys throwing gerbils at a cage and molesting little girls. That's no. bad. Josh was absolutely reacting to deep trauma from this family. He was filled with so much rage and it's understandable. Even though Josh is disgusting and he's a monster, I feel very sorry for him as a child because his father, Stephen, is one of the worst human beings. <laughs> yeah, so around this same time that the aunt was re regaling us with the story— when she, when this same aunt was staying with their family for a visit, that Terry came into her bedroom crying, saying that she was afraid that Josh was going to stab her. This is when Josh was in his like early teens. Terry and her sister were contemplating calling the police, but then they instead called their brother, which would be Josh's uncle. And he kind of calmed them down and talked them out of it. But she, at that point, she, her, uh, Terry's sister was saying that Terry was talking about maybe we need to get him into a mental health facility. And then the, her family talked her off doing it. So. Usually like therapy is a four-letter word in those communities. Yeah. I mean, even when I was growing up, therapy is a four-letter word. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's good to go talk about your feelings. It's absolutely good to talk about your feelings. And he, he could have used that treatment, even though God knows if mental health care has come a long way. So it might have been really a bad place that they put him in anyway yeah. at the time. Who knows? But um, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, he also, Josh, also had at least one suicide attempt. I can only assume this was all related to Stephen's abuse and Terry's indifference that was causing this, like, built-up rage in this little boy. Yeah. I've also seen a lot of women in those, like, relationships where the husband is just the authority. And, like, they... There, there's nothing behind their eyes. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's what Terry was. Yeah. Just, I, you want some coffee? Like, it's just that kind of attitude. And there's nothing wrong with being like sweet and serene and soft-spoken, but just the nothing behind the yeah. eyes because you just have to escape. Yeah. Which I think, I really do think that's that's what ended up becoming of Terry. Um, I don't know that she had the like the facilities to cope with it. And so she just became sort of glassy-eyed about all of it. And like I said, Stephen 
he really imparted his deep hatred of women to his boys. Uh, people often ask Jennifer, Miss Black Sheep, how she managed to make it out of this family somewhat normal. Um, she attributes it to being the oldest, being able to separate herself from her father as much as possible. And one of the biggest gifts her mother ever gave her, she sat Jennifer down one day and basically asked her to look forward to see the examples that her father was setting and do the exact opposite and look for the exact opposite people that the, the, it was a choice to become like this. Wow. And it's like one of the most, I think, helpful things her mom could have done for her, which is to say, I see that these are bad because it's like when you're a kid and you're seeing these things happening and nobody's stopping it, you feel like you're going insane. Gaslighting. Yeah. And so to have a figure in your, even if they can't protect you, go, this is wrong. It should not be happening. That's very brave of the mother to do it, that. It was. And I feel like it was one of her final brave acts. And then she but, just went inside of herself and was like, bye. Yeah. I go, um, bye bye now. Yeah. So that was a gift that she gave to Jennifer. And Jennifer, it stuck with her for her life. And she all she did was think about getting out and going and moving on with her life, which she did. Because, yeah, Terry eventually, she just kind of fades away and sort of learns. She leans into the defending the indefensible later on in life and even sometimes during this time. She certainly didn't protect her baby girl, Alina. Alina became the target of all these boys because she was so helpless and they were so angry. She's the youngest. Yeah. So by the time she was, you know, first grade age, they were, other than the molesting and the making her hold dead animals, they would be like physically aggressive with her, like put like meanly hitting her. These guys, these are like mid-teen boys to a, like a six-year-old calling her a bitch, oh things my like that. God, and she's helpless. And of course, who do you think she's going to marry when she gets old enough? She never did. She actually, uh, up until Stephen's death, lived with her father. Yeah. Because it was just a prison. She didn't know where else to go. Yeah. We'll talk about this, but yeah, she never That is developed. terrifying. Um, yeah. It's awful. Just like, this is life. Yeah. I mean, for real. Um, so I forgot to mention too, Terry at, during this time decided to pull the strength together and she decided she was going to divorce Stephen. Good. Yeah. Um, which was a huge deal for her. Like, oh, yeah, especially you know, in the church. I think that she was so, um, she, she was so unable to deal another day with it. She was just like, I guess if I'm not going to go to heaven, then whatever. I hope she got out, got a red Corvette, she got didn't. a scarf. No, no, she ended up being an accessory to all these things later Wonderful. on. Yeah. Um, but she did. She decided she was going to do it, even though Stephen made it. She was scared of him for sure. And There's no a, doubt. A narcissist and yeah. denying a narcissist, saying no to them or you are not worthy enough. That is suicide right yeah, there. Because for sure, he definitely told her if she was going to leave, he was going to make her life hell, yeah. all that stuff. It was contentious, but she managed to, it, it's something that should have taken a few months, but it took over two years to do the divorce because of Stephen. And he was making everything 10 times harder intentionally. He, at the end though, he demanded control over the boys and- was seemingly indifferent to the girls, which, thank you, great. Um, that meant that Josh, John, and Michael, the three boys, went under the control of almost only their father from that point. No. God can only know what a nightmare that home was. I bet that house stinks. I mean, like I think feet. it. from what it, we can glean, it seems like they were exposed to a lot of horrible things during that time and also encouraged to act in a bad way. And pornography everywhere because mm -hmm. now we don't have women telling us what to do. Absolutely. Just like blasting anal porn. Yeah. 
to like these little kids. Yeah, to you know, blast your anal porn, but not to children. No, that is. <laughs> That's, you know, that should be everybody's motto. Yeah. And frankly, we don't, he could have also been molesting these boys. We don't know. They definitely all displayed deviancy growing up, like later on. He could have been doing horrible things to them. We have no clue. But suddenly some part of Stephen decided he needed to take more from Terry. He began to manipulate Alina into hating her mom and trying to convince her to move in with him. So, and how old was Elaine at the time? This is around the time when she would have been like nine, ten. Yeah, so she doesn't know. No, no, no. Um, she was young. She was under ten, basically. Yeah. Um, so he started coaxing her and becoming like fun dad. He he knew as a narcissist knew how to mirror what people wanted. I'll so get her ice cream. Yeah. Um, and so Alina so confused and also just desperate for like her brothers and dad to love her started to turn on her mom and be like, I want to live with dad. I want to go. I want to do this. I want to do that. And Jennifer, uh, he didn't try with Jennifer because Jennifer made it very clear. I'm out of here. Don't fucking try it. Yeah. Um, not to mention at this point she was heading into adulthood. There was a huge age gap with these kids. So he knew he could still rip Alina away though. And Jennifer, was absolutely justifiably horrified knowing even as the teenager that she was, that uh, that Jennifer was, that Alina would not be safe in that household. But Terry was too beaten down to fight anymore. So she just gave up on Alina and let her move in with Stephen, knowing in some part of her brain that it was going to, you know. It's bad. I mean, she's just hopeless. She just gave up, you know. Yeah. Um, Which is, again, what I was saying before, We'll have Alina will come back into the story, but she moved in with Steven at that point and she never left. Oh my God. That just makes me so sad. Yeah. You just you're putting yourself in a prison. Yeah. You don't understand what life is. Like, well, I guess this is what it is, just getting abused every day. And then you fall in love with your abuser. Yeah. So she at least fell in love in the Stockholm Syndrome version of love. Uh, Alina is really a really tragic figure in all of this. Like I said, she's going to come back into the story. Um, she's a miserable adult. She She's actually given these interviews where she blames Susan for everything. She thinks she was very jealous of Susan because, well, as we'll find out, Stephen was sexually obsessed with her, which is Josh's father was obsessed with Susan sexually. Wow. So Alina, I think, was so warped that she was jealous that her dad wanted to pay attention to Susan. Because daddy needs to give me love. I don't, yeah. I don't know if he was being, uh, through adulthood, having sex with her, but she, um, Alina became very heavy, which a lot of times can be a a trauma reaction or response to trauma where you create protection around yourself. So she, she uh, put on some weight, not because she loved herself, but because it's like a, a layer of protection between yeah. her spirit and the and, abusers. Yes. Basically providing safety away from, and that's, you know, that might not be the case, but it, that is something that happens frequently with, with abuse victims. But in any case, she decided to take the side of her dad for the rest of her life and his life. Terry, uh, she thinks her dad's protecting her. 
I guess I guess the way she copes is that's what she thinks. I don't really. I, God, I can't even imagine what her thoughts are because, like. Like I can't go out in the real world. I got to get a job and pay taxes and ugh, you know get my own play. Like it's just so. It's like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Yeah, that same with um and one like of the, the other the other son John also lived with their dad until the dad died. So and abusers are out there. So I might as well know who my abuser is. At yeah. least I know who he is. So John and Alina basically were so were such shells of people that, yeah, they basically just felt safer knowing where the monster is, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Terry at that point is like a shell and was only having superficial relationships with any of her kids, though. Jennifer was still really there for her. And when I say Jennifer was there for her mother, it really became a situation where Terry was unable to be a mother to Jennifer and Jennifer almost became the mother to her. Yeah. And Jennifer writes in her book about the time during the divorce and having her mom having to deal with all the abuse. She writes, at the time, I thought mom was so strong. Now, sometimes I question if it really was strength, really patience, or if that was just fear. I got a grant for college, but decided not to go because I needed to stay and help protect mom. That was my decision. But when I got engaged, she asked me not to get married. She still needed me. I had to make another decision then, another turning point. My entire twisted family life could not continue to determine my future. It was time for me to step out on my own, which like, wow, I mad brave. respect, you know, brave. Absolutely. I'm just happy one person got out of this family. Whew. And that husband, I bet they lay in bed at night and she's just like telling these stories and he's like, what the? Yeah. And that's, that's the other side. She's still a very devout Mormon. And that's the other side of what can happen, which is she got out very young, met this young man who was a Mormon mission kid and they had a very healthy relationship. Yeah. It just, sometimes it's a roll of the dice when you're that young. But I think for her, she needed to get away from her family so badly that this almost was better a better choice for her. Just get out and marry someone else. And I'm sure her mother was afraid of her getting married because what if the same thing happens to her daughter? I think, honestly, I think at that point, Terry just wanted somebody to help take care of her. Yeah. I don't think she even cared about Jennifer at that point. Like, if, we'll find out how Terry really turned, but... Sour? Yeah, just, again, that idea where your mind makes the flip and suddenly you're defending these horrible things because you just can't process it. And so... Whenever she, she, like Jennifer turned down going to college because her mom needed her emotionally. And then she almost didn't get married because her mom's like, I, you're, I'm not ready. I need wow. you. I don't think she really thought about Jennifer in that way anymore. I know some women who are in like abusive patterns in relationships, older women that are like friends of my family. And they have this, I need someone to take care of me. Yeah. Like very meekly. They always say that I need, I need someone to take care of me. It's yeah. like always... Because to step out on your own, that's it's so difficult to do. Yeah. And I mean, especially in these like little insulated communities, women are taught that they shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's bad. You know, it's so scary out there. Don't worry about all the stuff that's happening to you. Yeah. There's predators out there and you don't know who they are. Yeah. Just deal with the predator you got, you know? 
Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today um so here we find josh growing into adulthood under the deeply traumatic influence of his father there appeared to be a push and pull relationship between josh and steven steven the being such a narcissist wanted to control every aspect of his son and josh and him would clash over this but i think on a deeply human level josh just wanted the approval of his father and so they had this toxic relationship that they danced in and out of And for a time in his young adult life, Josh went under the advice of his father and lived in a more reckless way, trying to like be a himbo. You know what I mean? Like he he was like trying to be a playboy kind of. I can only imagine that failed miserably. Um, Because women can see your bullshit usually or smart ones can. He was Josh was not an appealing person. I mean, I don't mean to say smart ones can. I mean, uh, I mean to say because I've definitely fallen for assholes. Oh, my God. And narcissists. Yeah. Yeah. So any (laughs) I'll take that back. Anybody can fall. Yeah, Uh, for sure. No, I don't know. But it didn't work with him. So he was just such. You can be an asshole, but also be able to be suave on top of that. He, beyond displaying traits of narcissism the way his father did, he was desperately boring and monotonous. There are hours of available footage of Josh to study from the time period when Susan went missing because of all the police interviews and stuff. But another source is we get to hear his voice and thoughts for hundreds of hours of audio journals that he kept. Literally hours a day, he would journal, audio journal. Uh-huh. Like to the point where half of his day was spent talking about himself. Um, they are tedious and they are endless. Oh my God. How could you be a narcissist and be boring? At least be like good at the clarinet. Right. Or funny. You know, now you can be a narcissist, buddy, but boring? Yeah. Get over yourself. Yeah. Um, he would detail, his audio journals would have been him being meticulous in detail about every aspect of every minute of his life. Manila is my favorite color. He would be, half of it was him cataloging the DVDs that he owned, cataloging the the stuff that he spent money on that day or a thought that he had. It makes you like want to stop being a human where you're just like, I don't want to know. Can I be, can I be a bird? I don't want (laughs) to know any of these things. But he saw himself as very important. It's almost like he was cataloging them because it would be like in the Smithsonian one day or something. It'll be in history books. My DVD collection of Blade. And technically he's not wrong because now we're fucking talking about it, aren't we? (laughs) Um, No, but he did. There's a a clip you can listen to of him detailing which uh, Disney DVDs that he had gotten. And he lists them out full name. I have now um, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And I have... Mickey's Christmas. I have the Peanuts Christmas. I actually have the Peanuts Holidays. Oh my God, shoot me in the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, so by all accounts, both Stephen and Josh were unbearable know-it-alls who thought they were smarter than everyone else in the room. You like philosophy majors? 
Yes, but at least philosophy majors are looking at philosophy. And this like is thinking like thinking and studying. This is the Dunning Kruger full effect where they're just so convinced of their intelligence. They don't. They can't understand that they don't know anything, so they think that they're geniuses. I always say that, uh, like these kind of people, they'll never be. Ge- they'll be. I'm bet he was smart, but you'll yeah. never be a genius because of your vanity. Yeah, neither. I, I would say Josh and uh, Stephen were not like not slow. Stupid. No, but they were so convinced of their superiority. They never challenged themselves mentally. You know, they'll never say like, oh, wait, I don't know that. I guess I'll go look that up. Yeah. Or hear some from somebody else and go like, oh, wow, I've never thought about it that way before. (laughs) That just didn't happen. So however, their relationship was like, you know, tumultuous, but their budding heads eventually got to Josh as he was hitting his early 20s. So in 1998, he decided he was going to reach out to his mom and ask if he could stay with her for a while. And Terry, she had such limited contact with her family. She wanted someone near her, and she was overjoyed, of course, to hear that Josh wanted to move in with her. And during this time, on the surface, it seemed like Josh was, like, quote-unquote, cleaning himself up. Um, And to Jennifer's perspective, she writes, My old protective instincts kicked in. Would Josh be cruel to her again? But over the next year, Josh started what seemed to be a miraculous transformation. I could only listen in amazement as mom described him going back to church, starting college, and in all other ways making positive changes in his life. Getting away from my dad was working for him. I began to have hope that he would see the link between action and consequence like I had all those years before. Which would make sense for his sister to think and hope that. As we look back on what we know now, my personal theory is that he was not only growing tired of his father, but I think it was partly because he was just ill-equipped to attract women. And I think that this might have been a little bit of masking where he was like, I can come into this other community, into this small pool of eligible women who are looking to get married, looking for husbands, and I can kind of like find somebody in here. Yeah, you can go be a predator somewhere. Kind of. I mean, I don't know. Regardless of his intentions, he did superficially clean himself up and he got an apartment and with a friend after about living a year with his mom. So we have no idea of maybe he really was trying to heal. Maybe he thought this would be something that helped him. I don't get that from him, especially after we hear all of his audio journals about what he was thinking. Um, Imagine being his roommate. No. Yeah. uh, I mean, I've had some crazy roommates, but not like that. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of his audio journaling discusses that sort of stuff, too. Um, No, it would suck. So I personally think for him without real hardcore mental health treatment, there wasn't a lot of hope for him. I don't think you could just start going to church and living with your mom and that all of the trauma of your childhood just would like go away and you'll be fine. Professional person to like really listen to you. You need to be like in a facility that takes care of you. Yeah. And for somebody to go, what happened to you was completely unacceptable and as a child. It's not your fault. Yeah. It's not your fault. Yeah. It's okay to cry. Right. Which is uh, Josh, again, very devoid of emotions. No, because he can't let his emotions show because that'll show weakness. I think so. And he was just so arrogant. And I mean, he could get angry as we'll find out, but So it was during this period, we're finally getting back to Susan. I know this is about Susan, but I really think the build up to what happens, especially because Stephen is so ingrained in the story, it was important to hear it. It's fascinating. I mean, just the, because no one is ever, no one just murders their child with an ax and sets their house on fire and was just had a normal 
perfectly great childhood. Yeah. Not unless you have, maybe you got a brain tumor or something, yeah. something happened. No, you don't, you can't just go walk into that because you were bad. There's a reason know? for these things. Yeah. So finally, we're getting back to Susan. Um, this is when he becomes in her scope, essentially. We have the unique experience of hearing Josh's thoughts during this time due to the audio journaling. I'm going to play a clip for you guys so you can just, I want you to get a sense of who he is and what he was thinking when he met Susan. At this point, of course, I'm only seeing Susan. And I have been for about a month now. Uh, I think I might have asked for help doing the dishes and she volunteered. So we were doing dishes together. And I guess she liked that so much that she decided she really likes me. She's the first girl I've known that I've been dating who has had a car who comes to visit me. You know, in the past, I've always been the one to pick up a girl, whether she's visiting me or I'm visiting her. I'm always the one to do the driving. So that's a great thing. She also tends to help me clean up, like after we have a party or after we have dinner together at my place or something. She helps me clean it up and keep the kitchen clean. Like when she washes her hands in the bathroom, she wipes up the sink, which I do too. I like to keep all that clean. It only takes a second to keep things looking really nice. Very Virgo energy. <laughs> yeah, um... So, yeah, that's I maybe it's being him being a Virgo. I don't know. <laughs> I forget what. Wait, what, what sign is he? Aquarius. He's an Aquarius. Okay, so Josh is an Aquarius. Interesting. But maybe we can figure out all of this shit now. Now that we know he's Aquarius. <laughs> um, so, uh, by the way, I I would like to deeply credit Dave Cowley and his podcast Cold. If you want a very long, extensive breakdown of this case, I cannot recommend it enough. He did such an incredible job um, with breaking all this down. Not only that, but also breaking leads in the case. Even if we we can't find Susan alive or ever at all, potentially, he helped us learn some of the steps that yeah. some of the cops had missed. And like, he's a journalist, so he's smart. Yeah, he's, it's great. It's a really, really good podcast. But that was one of... Um, hit the clips that he put out. Uh, if you don't want to hear, it gets, it's very, very hard to listen to. It's really graphic. But if anything, I recommend you listening to one of the most recent updates he put out in which he goes through a series of Josh's audio journals, like the one we just played and breaks it down with a clinical psychologist. And it's really, really fascinating. Wow. Um, so back to our dumb shit. Um, <laughs> he, he begins, he begins on these audio journals and describing his interest to Susan. And it is clinical, like we just said. There's no love. There's no, no like, I like her personality. It's just she cleans up after herself. I mean, yeah, it, it sounds like oh, the way a person would describe the reasons they're choosing to start a checking account at a bank. Yeah. Like, it's this bank because I like that they have these hours and it's the most convenient. Oh my God. And she does, she's so young. She doesn't know that this isn't normal. Yeah. And that is... <laughs> A big mystery. What Susan saw in Josh. It's probably, you know what? Because I remember being 18 and I remember thinking, oh, this guy likes me. I never thought for a second, do I like him? Yeah. It was, he likes me. I guess I'll drop everything and then go be with him because he likes me. Never once in a million years did I have enough power within myself 
to say, do I like him? Yeah, that's very that's a really smart uh, observation to make because I I think that could be very much what Susan was her mindset. I definitely remember being that age too, being yeah. like, this guy is being really nice to me. He really likes me. I guess I'm going to date him now. Yeah, I'm special. <laughs> I'm special yeah, now. Yeah. And that can go, you know, doesn't always turn out into a tragedy. But no. in this case, um, it's really, it's hard to gauge because he's such, he sucks so bad. She was this bright, bubbly star of a person. And he was, not to be superficial, but he was busted. He was busted. I think that he, to me, is so unattractive, partly because I know what's under the surface. But also, I'm to be honest, the LDS gear doesn't really help anything. Like no, the belt with a tie. Yeah, a lot of like very tightly tucked in shirts, a lot of sand colored sweaters. Yeah, and I saw this um, like videos, this indoctrination for kids. I went on the research for that. And it's a lot of like, don't wear tight pants because, yeah. you know, your body's for God and 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 uh, not for anybody else. And I'm yeah. like, wear those tight pants, baby. I want to see that ass for sure. They call it um, defrauding. If you if you're a woman and you're wearing sexy clothes, you're defrauding men with your clothes, and you're the, co- the reason that they're going to fall. And yet, for some reason, the men are more powerful, but they're weak enough to be. Yeah. I'm confused here. You know what I mean? It's not, it all goes back to that Eve story. Yeah, they're like, really. men are more powerful, they're stronger, they're the leader, but if you... She's too dumb, she took the apple. Yeah, if you wear like a skirt that's a little too short, he's going to fall mm-hmm. and, you know, do horrible things. But yep. yet, at the same time, he's more powerful? That sounds like a weak person to me. I agree, girl. I uh, <laughs> agree. Yes, queen! Okay, anyway, so... um, <laughs> uh. But beyond like the a physical appearance, if I was being super superficial, which I just was, um, he was awkward, unfriendly. He was bossy. He dominated conversations and he never seemed to be listening to anyone else. You can be like not quote unquote classically attractive. And I say it in a word of like symmetry because right. brains like symmetry, right? Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily whatever, but you know, the eyes are perfect. The nose and the mouth are like perfectly symmetrical. But if you are bossy and domineering and boring, ugly, yeah, ugly. Even if your face is symmetrical. Yeah, for sure. You can become just, even if you have those like physical attributes that are supposed to mean something. Yeah, you could look like Fabio, but if you behave like a piece of manila like Fabio? Folder, no, yeah. <laughs> um, no shade to Fabio. I don't think he did anything bad. No, Fabio's wonderful. He's fabulous. Yes, he is. <sighs> God damn it. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> oh, I think also, like we said, I think that there was the fact that she was so young... This also might have been, again, what drew him to the LDS community, that he could find sort of these, like, fresh meat. Though he didn't go on a mission like a lot of the young Mormon men, he had put on a facade of caring about the church again, which I doubt. When I was talking about him going back and putting the mask on, I never saw any, through his audio journals too, there was never a point where he was talking about how faithful he was and he found his God again. Uh, He was just him fishing for women. Yeah, um, but that him caring about the church was very important to Susan. So he was immediately lying about who he was. I also imagine the pool of options for her because of her need to have a faithful man 
was very, 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 very shallow. I don't think she had a lot of options. She wanted someone who was as devout as her in her faith. Yeah, you can't just go on Hinge and see what's Mm -mm. up. No, there might even be a Mormon dating app. There probably is, but... If you're up in um, Washington, you get like 10 dudes. Yeah. What are you going to, you're going to go down to New York? You're not. No. You know? So in fact, actually, Susan's parents, Chuck and Judy, were already familiar with Josh. That's how small the pool was. And they did not care for him. Mm. Um, From the book, If I Can't Have You, Judy and Chuck had some reservations about their daughter's new boyfriend. They had met him before when he had tried to ask out their oldest daughter, Mary. So Josh had already tried to ask out Susan's older sister. Josh had shown up at their house the night of Mary's prom. She had already had a date and was already at the dance, but it didn't matter to Josh. He planted himself in a living room chair intent on staying to chat with Judy about Mary, the weather, anything at all. Judy felt like she had been caught in a steel-jawed leg trap. There was no getting rid of this kid. Oh, my God. And in those kind of cultures, like, you never tell a man off. You never say, like, get out of here. No. Because he's always right. No. And then this is finally Chuck came home. In his typical no-nonsense fashion, he was direct when he told Josh the visit was over. You need to go now, he said. Josh didn't get it. He just sat there looking blank-eyed. And then he kept talking. Chuck had never seen anything like it. Despite his peculiar nature, Susan fell for Josh In some ways, it was inexplicable. She was stunning, vivacious. His personality swung between stiff and remote and gregarious and overbearing. Maybe she thought, like, he'll take care of me. Well, for whatever reason, Susan decided this was the guy for her. And to her friends, she had described him as kissing her passionately and bringing her flowers. So it's like movie rom-com Love stuff. Yeah. And it's what a teenage girl thinks of as like a happily ever after story. It's checking all the boxes off because mm-hmm. she's 18 years old. The clinical psychologist that Dave Cowley brought onto cold talks about the mental process following adolescence that's known as individualizing, which is sort of the trial and error time of being an adult. He goes on to say... That, of course, marriages from that age time period, 18, 19, 20, they can work out. But you, even if they do, you're effectively denying yourself the time to develop your own sense of self, your own set of instincts. This becomes especially dangerous if that teenager is from a high control situation where, for example, she's told that her union means that she and this person are meant not only to spend this life together, but also eternity. Oh, my God. She's in heaven with this dude. Yeah. That the man is the head of the household and you must obey. And then if things are bad at home, you're simply not praying enough. Again, this is not to point all the fingers at the church, but... The encouragement to settle into marriage at that age leaves you with no discernible way to instinctively know that this boy ain't right. Yeah, well, they want you. They don't want a woman to discover herself. That's dangerous. No, no, no. She has to, like, be a shell of a human and then follow this man. Yeah, and follow the church and make sure they give their money over. So even though those around her voiced their concerns about him. She was ready to start her family and she made her decision. And this is also absolutely in no way blaming Susan. I think it's important though to know that she never got the chance to experience the process of individualizing. And she started to feel those things through her 20s and her marriage and then began to express her hesitations later on in her 20s. And Josh did not like that. Of course not. 
So holy shit, that was so much information. I think we're going to stop here. But thank you for <laughs> experiencing this fucking horrible story. Again, if you want to hear a longer version, there's a lot of coverage of it. And just be prepared to hear a lot of really unbearable things that, I mean, what we touched on isn't even nearly the worst of what no. happened. So uh, you can follow me at The Natty Jean and you can follow the show at Someplace Underneath on TikTok and uh, Instagram and Please send uh, any recommendations for, for cases for us to go through at someplaceunderneath at gmail.com. Amber. Amber Smelson, A-M-B-E-R-S-M-E-L-S-O-N, across the board on Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. And I have a Twitch stream, Amber Smelson, also every Friday at 6 where I have a chat. And also every Sunday at 2 where I have a gardening club. That's so fun. Yeah, it's like this little patch of earth and I don't have a green thumb. So I just like let the chat tell me what to do. You just started that, right? Yeah, I just started it. That's fun. That, that's a good one because I think that'd be good to watch somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. If you also don't know what you're doing, you're like, yeah. we can learn together. Yeah. And like, ideally, I want to have like a garden, you know? Can I have some vegetables? Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Score. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>